Okay, sound checking myself. My laptop's plugged back in. The keyboard is plugged in. Is not plugged in? <laughs> Wait, where's the keyboard? Okay, it is plugged in. The mixer's plugged in. We're ready to go. Welcome to Super Superstitious. <laughs> the podcast that I I can't even think about what it's a, I think it's the troubleshooting podcast yeah, that occasionally discusses <laughs> discusses audio uh, different inputs and also spooky things and the science behind them. Yes. I'm Jake and I'm Wyatt finally back from beyond the digital pale. Wyatt was in Tron for a while. I don't actually yes. I, just, I don't know if there's a name of where that is but you're just Sonic in Tron. you're in the movie Tron. And, and I guess crashing my glow stick-sicle into uh, <laughs> glow sticksicle. what light or something? I probably I watch those movies. Anyway, this is the show where we talk about strange things, mysterious things, spooky things, all those kinds of things, and try and understand them better using our backgrounds in science and friendship. And uh, <laughs> mostly science. Yeah. Currently, it is August around, around the, the world. world. And we are on our second stop on our, our trek around the world, this time in Russia. Russia. You will hear the sound of... Russia stuff. An old Russian plane behind us. And probably oh no. the sound of the Kremlin. <laughs> sound of the Kremlin. Which is the only way I know that we're in Russia. August is also special this particular year because we are in a, a bid to try and get... A hundred patrons on Patreon. We're working our way there slowly. Uh, this past week was literally two steps forward, one step back. So we're at uh, 72 still. So we're looking to get more of yous so we can get some special stuff. But in the meantime... Only the strong. Because of this special month, we do want to have extra special thanks to all of you. So we're going to begin this episode with a thank you to one of our patrons, which we will do using... Boot it up! The NCAA device... This, of course, is the strange old computer that we built slash made. It is evil, <laughs> and we use it for this now, forever, which is the pander function. Yes. That's what this is. The patron appreciation neural die for evaluation of risk, a thing I used to never know how to say. Now is the only thing I know how to say. <laughs> and this will allow us to identify, well, really, the computer will identify the cryptid, ghoulie creature, otherwise strange being out there in the world that our awesome patrons on our Patreon need to look out for. This week, we are... Focusing on... We've mind-linked already. We haven't even put the cords into our brains. <laughs> Here we go. Put them in now. There we go. This allow us to access the... Uh, dark, the dark ether. ether, which allows us to calculate... Harvest Bitcoin. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, takes actually less power than the usual stuff. It takes more uh, um, spiritual kind of energy out of you, but otherwise, we're we're focusing this per first time on Gene, Gene L, L, aka Pocky, Pocky Nightmare. Nightmare. What is a Pocky? Is that one of those like Little chocolate sticks. pretzel sticks or something? Yeah, they come in different flavors. Uh, All right. Gene, watch out for. for the Malpello Monster. Monster. God, there also, are so many ads. <laughs> wow, this is. You need. Where is Ad Blocker? We need to get Ad Blocker for the NCAA. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Wow. Anyway. Well, 
also Bongo or El Monstro. <laughs> it's a mysterious shark-like fish in the eastern Pacific Ocean. Just called a shark. Yep. <laughs> uh, specifically off Isla del Malpelo, an island 285 miles off the coast of Colombia. Now, this may be a tangent, but I'm sensing in the download into my brain that shark-like is itself a hot link. And I Ooh. would love to know more. Category. I wonder if this is adjacent to flesh-like. Oh, it is simply shark. Yep. Okay. Anything shark adjacent. All right. Programming our way back Cameron over. Knows. Um, Programming our way back over. Gene. Be sure that if you see anything that possess, possesses a length of 15 feet female <laughs> and had large eyes, uh, that you are on guard. The dorsal fin was placed above the pectoral fins. <laughs> and it prefers <laughs> colder water under the thermocline. Ooh, that's a fun a fun uh, term to use. Below 160 feet. Yeah. This just straight up shark now has been seen and photographed on rare occasions by divers. Colombian biologist Sandra Besudo launched an investigation in March 2001 to determine its status. So far, no understanding of why? She determined that it was immigrant. <laughs> As you will know, Gene, during the Ultimate Ocean Adventure, a storm wipes out access to the shark's lair. <laughs> then a brutal band of pirates tries to hijack Sandra's boat and seizes 14 tons of sharks by stabbing her nest with their spears. What? <laughs> And this violent shark attack, one might even call it pirate attack, <laughs> is just one of the adventures captured in a captivating documentary wow, as we called, call the, called The Monster. The Monster Shark of Malpelo. Interesting. So when you're just off the coast of this particular island in the Pacific, uh, you know, watch out for shark-related things. Watch out for pirates and thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Uh, we 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 love you and female. <laughs> uh, if you too would like to have your own creature, cryptid, shark, fish, calculated by the pander function on uh, on the show, all you gotta do is sign up on the old Patreon. Why, I've actually managed to create a sort of subroutine for this device that should hopefully allow it to pause for exactly 40 minutes, 22 seconds. So hopefully we can get the machine to kind of idle for that long and uh, we'll be good. So I'm going to activate that now. All right. Wow, what a weird sound. I did not <laughs> expect it to sound so wet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Anyway, uh, if you would like to have um, your cryptid situation happen, all you got to do is sign up with Patreon. Any level of uh, support will do it. For just the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can get your cryptid <laughs> calculated. You can also, uh, starting once we get enough people, we're going to also have, um, you know, the ability to choose what we talk about in, in episodes every month. You'll get to suggest topics, vote on them, and then that'll happen. Beyond that, there's also stickers, bonus minisodes, outtakes, all that stuff. Become a glug suck. And we'll talk about this more when we get to the second pender section, but uh, boy, if we get to 100 this month, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. But for now, it is an odd-numbered episode. We're in Russia. Wyatt, what do you want to tell Take me about us Russia? Away. Yeah. <clears throat> well, first off, I'm sorry to disappoint, slash, rest assured, everyone, 
depending <laughs> on your take on my usual bullshit. But I will not be talking about the Russian version of Bigfoot, known regionally as Almasti. And I, I gave you a, a free pass this time, too. <laughs> you did. You did. I thought about it real hard. I really did. I even You might even say started prepping for that. <laughs> um, but I did kind of already cover it back in episode 91, Rat King Cole. Uh, how, how did you find the, it? I had no idea. Well, it's the story of Zana, who, if you're looking mm-hmm, around mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. all Masti content gotcha. <laughs> online after dark. Oh, uh, that is a, a bleak story. It is a bleak story if you are just tuning in today. It's also a fascinating story. True. Uh, this is a purported wild woman or possible enslaved person held captive in the Western yeah. Caucasus back in the day. It's worth a listen, so jump back to episode 91. All that said, I will absolutely take this chance to briefly jump back on my bullshit with another visit to <laughs> ye old Russian Almasti footage <laughs> recorded back in 2015 and posted pretty much anywhere cryptid BS can be found. Let's go to the tape. <laughs> oh. Watch closely. I hear nothing. You hear nothing? No. Weird. I hear it all. <laughs> nice. We had well, this problem describe, recently. Describe what you're hearing and seeing. <laughs> I'm hearing a loud rumble. I mean, the, people can hear it too. I'm not to describe the, the sound. But uh, um, people talking. Oh, oh there it goes. Wow. That is So they're spooky. in the woods at what looks like dusk. And uh, this thing, it it's not like your usual uh, Sasquatch sightings where it's like a, a, seems like just a guy in a suit. This just looks like a straight-up chimpanzee hopping through the woods. Very long arms. Seems to be kind of uh, between uh, bipedal and, and, and quadrupedal. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if it's like a father and son or whatever, but they're just, like, frantically talking about something, and then, like, that they probably already saw, and then it's happening again to jump through. I was going to zoom in now. Alrighty, let's see the up-close version. There's some trees. A lot of scrub. Oop, there's some movement. And then... It's gonna come out. It's gonna come out. <laughs> oh, uh, the motion is so gosh darn creepy. Oof, it just, that jump it, at the white arms and its arms going up to the sides. It looks so much like just a chimpanzee, but no, but one of those kind of things just going through the brush, rip roaring. So, right as Jake has described, man and adolescent boy watches a figure in the background flees into the distance. Uh, they're clearly excited about what they're seeing, but they're kind of just kind of, you know, they're weirdly just hanging out. I feel like if I watched that, I would be on the uh, on the tips of my toes. But creatures making an extremely quick passage over what appears to be very thickly wooded landscape. Mm-hmm. And even with that low resolution footage, at least for my money, I feel like you can discern what appears to be a very strongly built, and as Jake described, at least semi-bipedal creature. Mm-hmm. Um, moving deftly, powerfully, and swiftly. So, I would say one of the most compelling what-did-I-just-see type clips. And, as I have said before, I am pretty skeptical of any New World uh, ape-type situations, but uh, Old World apes, eh, you know, that's where they're from. Slightly Who bigger knows? ballpark. I will say as well, if this is hoaxed, this is hoaxing done extremely well. So elaborately, yeah. So elaborately, if indeed what we were watching is a person in a bodysuit, the suit itself would need to have been designed to look 
well muscled and be highly flexible mm-hmm. and mobile. We never do get a look at the face, so maybe if it is a suit, it might have like an open mask or something, so the person could see what they're doing pretty well. But still, yeah. also, why would you stage this? <laughs> and also, why would you only do one if you had if you've got the formula to bake the best chocolate chip cookies ever? <laughs> You're really just going to bake one batch, but maybe that's the whole point. So I don't know. Keep wanting more. Anyway, classic. We'll have a link. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you think through comments and email. <laughs> Yell it into your phone as we're <laughs> Scream as listening you. to the podcast. Scream at your phone. <laughs> um, and with all that said, I will now tell you about my real topic, which is that I took a trip over to Lake Brosno, no. where I heard about the Brosno Dragon. Ooh. Jay, do you already know about the Brosno <laughs> Dragon? <laughs> this is my first, hear, uh, hearing time, first time hearing about the Brosno Dragon. My first dragon time cup. using words as well, turns out. <laughs> yeah. I think as we've both come to appreciate only legends as rich as this merit coverage by both Ancient Origins and Mysterious Universe. <laughs> All right. Oh, we're going to um, get some uh, violet uh, verbiage today. Yes, indeed, indeed. I particularly like the title of the article coughed up by Sarah Young on Ancient Origins, <laughs> uh, which I am stealing from my own segment, which is the Brosno Dragon, the Loch Ness Monster's evil Russian cousin. <laughs> And now back to Mysterious Universe, I mean, like Brosno here in Russia, <laughs> uh, for some classic Brent Swanser, I mean, real Russian content. <laughs> Tucked away in the remote Tyvir region of West Russia is Lake Brosno, a deep, frigid lake that sits isolated and forgotten in a domain far from civilization. The area is forbidding and only sparsely inhabited in these modern times, and its eerie, otherworldly ambiance is only enhanced by the crumbling ruins of a ghost town on its shores. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Looking over this wild and wind-blasted icy place <laughs> with its jagged ruins, it is easy to get the feeling that if the legends and lore are to, believed, are to be believed... The lake indeed is inhabited by a monster, by some accounts, an actual dragon. (laughs) Stories of something very large and menacing lurking in Lake Brosno go all the way back to the 13th century. One of the most popular early accounts concerning the so-called Brosno dragon, perhaps the only account, (laughs) follows a Tartar Mongol army that headed for Novgorod in the 13th century with the intention of conquering more territory led by the Mongol ruler and grandson of Genghis Khan, Batu Khan. Mm-hmm. When the troops reached the shores of Lake Brosno, they stopped to take a rest and water their horses at the shore. According to the tale, as the horses and men gathered at the water, an enormous dragon came boiling up out of the depths to attack them, dragging oh. horses and screaming men into the water to devour them. Presumably the horses were silent. The creature was so formidable and fierce that it apparently forced a retreat, sparing Novgorod in the process. Another old tale is that of a group of Vikings who for some reason set about rowing across the lake to reach an island, which does exist. <laughs> I checked. I was like, fuck that, but there is one. 
where they intended to bury, of course, a hoard of loot as the Vikings <laughs> made their way over the lake. The dragon attacked, destroying the boat and killing all aboard. As we can all fill in from here, this became a running theme with the Brosno dragon. <laughs> Person takes boat out on Lake Brosno. Dragon succumbs to its habit of destroying or capsizing boats. I like the idea that it can't help it. it just <laughs> It's a compulsion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have to do this. Oh, no. Got to the point that fishermen have long since been terrified to even attempt to go out on the water here. Some of the more dramatic stories say that the dragon's mouth is so massive that it can literally suck in whole boats and their crews. <laughs> Historically, the Brosno dragon would be described as, quote, an absolute behemoth, unquote. <laughs> a term with which I'm sure we're all familiar enough to know means that it appears like a sand mountain. <laughs> rising from the lake and often said to be hundreds of feet long wow how are we doing so far on this one jake i just remembered that the um the word behemoth has over the years uh kind of instead become the word unit yes an absolute unit i thought that it was from the old saying behemoth or behemoth <laughs> Well, these stories have continued into modern times. Oh. The more concrete and somewhat less fantastical description of the beast becoming, as Brent puts it, clear. <laughs> Most reports would describe the creature as being around 20 feet in length with a long tail, a reptilian head, an oversized fish-like mouth, and the whole of it covered in bumpy scales like the skin of an alligator, with some reports even mentioning what seems to be a sort of bioluminescence. Huh. And of course, all of this can only be found in articles such as this one. <laughs> However, some of the reports still have the air of legend about them. Uh -huh. One of the most famous tales from Brosny dates back to the 1940s, sometime around World War II. Although the details are unclear, internet code for bullshit, the story claims the German pilot allegedly encountered the creature while flying over or near Lake Brosno. Somehow, the plane either fell into the water or flew low enough that Brosny, uh, we're calling it Brosny now because okay. I've switched to content from Ranker, another sign that this is super legit. <laughs> The Brosno dragon could reach the jet from its home in the water. <laughs> the story claims the creature captured the plane in its mouth and swallowed the plane and the pilot whole. Wow. So either a very big creature or a very tiny plane. <laughs> yeah. Although the sheer remoteness of the lake means that sightings are rare, there have been some rather remarkable modern-day reports. In 1996, a, a family from Moscow was out at the lake when their young son began shouting and pointing out over the water. At the end, <laughs> the parents managed to catch sight of something large and anomalous out on the water and even purportedly took a photo of it, but it turned out to be too blurry to count as meaningful evidence. Mm -hmm. Three years after the Matrix, an expedition to the lake was launched <laughs> by the Cosmopoisk Research Association with the expressed mission to try and find evidence of the Brajno dragon. To this end, they made sweeps of the lake using advanced echolocation equipment and sonar, and as they did so, they claimed to have come across a very large biomass in the depths. Hmm. They, of course, decided to then throw an explosive device into the water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one team member by the name of 
Vadim Chernobrov would explain of what happened in what seems to be the only version of his quote any site features online, despite how unhelpful it is. And I quote, Echo Deep sounding registered an anomaly. There was a huge jelly-like mass of a railway car size, handing five meters above the bottom. Jelly-like, huh? It might have been jam-like. <laughs> Marmalade-esque. Mass- yes. One more. Preserve-like. Preserve. The mass stood motionless. Preserve-ish, I When guess. the device blew up, <laughs> the creature started slowly going up. It's a creature now. We, stayed, we stared at the water, and it was clear. There was nothing resembling a monster. However, something unusual was still felt in the lake water. Mm-hmm. According to the team, they managed to retrieve a strange biomass from the water. Samples were supposedly taken from it, which were rumored to match no known creature inhabiting the lake. Of course, considering that nothing more is known about these supposed tests and no photographs are known to exist, it is perhaps best to take these claims with a grain of salt. So what do we make of it? Oversized fish. Oversized maybe. fish, maybe? I'm looking at the map here to see where it is. I would not rule it out as being within the possible uh, habitat range of moose. Yep. You're on top We've of it already. about lake monsters being moose. And I, I hadn't... Again, this is something I will I will credit Lauren Coleman with this for all of his other goofy-ass faults. He did, uh, in his museum, the Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, he does propose the possibility that some lake monster sightings are actually just moose swimming across a lake. And yeah, huge animal, weird thing to see. That kid hollering about something going into the lake could have been a moose swimming around. Could have been knows? a moose. That is my favorite as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of my notes to myself Despite occupying a global distribution of completely and insurmountably isolated lake environments, lake monsters are almost uniformly described as having horse-like heads. Yeah. And as we've discussed before, moose. (laughs) The lake apparently carries burbot and perch. European perch, these are two kinds of fish. Mm -hmm. European perch get about 24 inches long and burbot, which are much more eel-like and thus, I guess, perhaps more (laughs) dragon-like. Uh, reach a comparatively monstrous 47 inches, or about 127 meters. Not really boat gulping levels. It might have been misidentified school of smelt. Oh. Smaller fish form large and tight-knit schools. Mm-hmm. Seeing a sizable school out of nowhere, perhaps in the right light, might resemble a dragon, I guess. And then <laughs> one more is possibly... Underwater, I've seen this. I've seen this written <laughs> online. <laughs> so the words do exist out there. Possibly an underwater volcanic, a form of volcanic activity or gas deposition. Hmm. Something bubbling up from the bottom. Boiling up, would you say, to grab a bunch of horses and screaming men? Indeed. I. I mean, this one. I was not able to confirm any evidence that there is volcanic activity, although. Apparently, there are fissures at the bottom of Lake Brajno. Hmm. But I can imagine how an abrupt relief release of gas... Which would be a relief. It would be a relief. Exactly. Um, or some other sort of discharge hmm. would certainly cause a scene. And if you did not know what you were seeing or hearing, it would only take a little bit of time to conjure up 
a wild explanation. And if there were a boat on the lake underneath the bubbles when that happened, it could sink it. And very exactly. quickly so. We've talked about this with the Bermuda, tri- uh, Bermuda Bermuded, Triangle. Exactly. Yeah, it could have gotten Bermuded right to the bottom. And if someone saw that happen, uh, that I would look mean, really funny to see it like a whole bunch of frothing like, water and then someone just disappearing under the waves. Like, oh, God, something just got them. So different possibilities, <laughs> all of which could have but contributed in some Mongolian, way. Mongolian, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it probably is just a straight-up giant dragon. So we can rest assured on that. Yep. And that's... That's what I got for you today from right. Russia with Wyatt. <laughs> and I think, however, before we jump into yours, Jake, I do want to bring up a certain brewery. Oh. However, <laughs> normally we talk about all of Four Phantoms. I'll just get right to it. It's Four <laughs> Phantoms, this brewery in Western Mass. We normally talk about their cool beers, how good they are, how in Western Mass they are. <laughs> a Chusets, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I need to bring up some serious business today. Jake already knows this, so this is kind of just for anyone listening. We were recently contacted by the powers that be at Four Phantoms Incorporated, now part of the Four Phantoms and International Microbrewery family of Four Phantoms, that we have gotten some of the corporate messaging wrong <laughs> and mercifully, mercifully, rather than send us to commercial jail, they have given us our single second chance. <laughs> so here we go. As As we have mentioned, and I hasten to add, Accurately, there is indeed a Four Phantoms fandom membership on offer for $100. You get discounts, pride power, first dibs on new releases, and brew partays, mm-hmm. uh, which is a trademark term, and a, do- uh, a dope pint glass. But you won't actually get your own mug that stays in the brewery. <laughs> so why even do it? Um, I did do it. I, I'm proud of it. I did do it. And I will be bringing my own mug. Um, to keep in the brewery. It says my bug, and then it has a blank space, and I wrote my name. Uh, also, for anyone around Western Mass, uh, Four Phantoms will be pouring beer at beautiful Pine Hill Orchards on Saturday, September 4th from 11 to 4. There will be some form of live music uh, and food. Uh, specifically, I think the actual copy does inform us fried fucking dough. I was going to edit it for children. Oh, and sorry. Just say it, uh, and just say fried fucking. Boiled oil. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, so check that out. And lastly, but far from leastly, if you, like me, are a super cool Four Phantoms fandom taproom member, there will be a super special members only opening September 16th. Mm. Members, and as our corporate contact wrote, they buds, will get exclusive (laughs) access to the taproom that week from Thursday to Sunday. Um, it was stressed in the email from corporate that, and I quote, the best decision anyone can make right now is to buy a membership. There is literally no other decision to make whatsoever. Um, so, you know, head on over to fourphantoms.net and get going. And now, Jake, I think you can take it away. Right. Well, most of my material today will be coming from a BBC article from last July written by Zarya Gorvet. It begins... Thus, in the middle of a Russian swampland, not far from the city of St. Petersburg, is a rectangular iron gate. Beyond its rusted bars is a collection of radio towers, abandoned buildings, and power lines bordered by a dry stone wall. This sinister location is the focus of a a mysterious... uh, it's (laughs) It's the focus of a mystery which stretches back to the height of the Cold War. 
it is thought to be the headquarters of a radio station, MDZHB, uh, that no one has ever claimed to run. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the last three and a half decades, it's been broadcasting a dull, monotonous tone. Every few seconds, it's joined by a second sound, like some uh, ghostly ship sounding its foghorn. Then the drone continues. Yikes. Here... This wouldn't happen to be the Moscow Death Zone Hot Boys, would it? Well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we, Wyatt? So I'll start playing some of this uh, sound here. Can you hear that? Yep. Okay, not too loud? Sounds like someone tuning their guitar. (laughs) This does it kind of continuously all the time, and then uh, every once in a while, something will change. Hmm. Interesting. And then it's just static for three minutes and goes back and do it again but a little bit faster. So it is a weird. It is a weird. It kind of makes me think of if there was some tape in the deck and the machine itself was kind of jacked up so it was playing at a really weird, irregular speed or something. Yeah. Also, I forgot, I forgot to show you too. This is supposedly the location it's coming from. Ugh. All right. Pretty creepy area. Uh, it's a couple of Looking pictures. at a giant cement building that looks like it's if a cinder block dreamed of becoming a house. <laughs> and uh, some areas around it was being torn up on the ground and stuff, but uh, inside, real Ooh. creepful. This is uh, just different parts of the area. It's not necessarily this one building that it is all of it, but uh, potentially where this is coming from. I um, see. Oh, oh, intriguing. Go on. So, uh, once or twice a week, a man or woman will read out some words in Russian, such as dinghy or farming specialist. So they translate to. Wow. And that's it. Anyone anywhere in the world can listen in simply by tuning a radio to the frequency 4,625 kilohertz. Today, the station has an online following numbering in the tens of thousands who know it affectionately as the buzzer. The buzzer. As fans readily admit themselves, they have absolutely no idea what they are listening to. Huh. In fact, no one does. Ooh. Quote, there's absolutely no information in the signal, says David Stupples, an expert in signals intelligence from City University, London. Hmm. So, why? what do you know about numbers stations? Nothing. Awesome. They're really cool and weird. I forgot all about them until accidentally stumbling across this particular station. And I thought, oh, yeah, numbers stations is a topic I thought would be cool for the show and just never remember to do it. And now I have a Russian excuse to do so. <laughs> wow. Well. I'm intrigued to learn from you. Yeah, so there, there are a few of them around the world. They just are on shortwave radio. They play all the time. They have different weird quirks to them. They have a certain kind of just weird ambient sound, and then something will come through every once in a while, sometimes on a regular kind of schedule, sometimes totally at random. People just kind of follow them, and then just weird stuff comes through. There's the buzzer. There's one called the pip. There's one called squeaky wheel. Hmm. Uh, you can check them all out online, different places. Let me play you another example or two of the buzzer and the different kind of stuff that sometimes comes through. This one I just showed you was just like the audio changed and then uh, it turned to static. Right. But there are examples where it does actually have straight up words come through. So let's see. Uh, Yeah, let's try this one from January 28th, 2016. So you get the ongoing buzz. Then something else. 
Are there words being said right now? There are some that people are able to decipher, including, um, let's see. I can uh, only barely hear it, but maybe that's just on my end. It, no, it's, it's very, very hard to hear, and it's through a bunch of static, and they are speaking Russian. So some of the words that people were able to pull out were uh, a word that means dry animal dung fuel, and another one that means sisal. I don't know what that actually is. Hmm. Um, uh, other ones that have, yeah, like there's just different words. Like the word dinghy came up. There's another word, like a word in Bulgarian, a version of the name like Agatha hmm. um, in the Russian equivalent of that. And uh, it's just weird stuff that comes up. So wow. it is a strange thing. It's a mysterious thing. And you could see why it would be popular, especially with people who are super into, you know, any kind of conspiracy type thing. Because like, this is unambiguously a weird thing to to a- absolutely to hear. Yeah. yeah the frequency of the buzzer 4625 kilohertz is thought to belong to the russian military hmm. though they have never actually admitted this uh, it first began broadcasting at the close of the cold war when communism was in decline today it's transmitted from two locations the st petersburg site and a location near moscow bizarrely after the collapse of the soviet union rather than shutting down the station's activity sharply increased so it was supposedly hmm. there's some some debate about when when exactly it started, but people seem to think it was in the 70s, and then after the fall of the Soviet Union, it uh, it became more frequent. Hmm. So there's no shortage of theories to explain what the buzzer might be for, ranging from right. keeping in touch with submarines to communing with aliens. Whoa. Uh, one such idea is that it's acting as what's called a dead hand signal. Hmm. This means it's in the event that Russia is hit by a nuclear attack, the drone will stop and automatically trigger a retaliation. So the idea is as long as that signal is able to keep running, it means everything's going fine. And if it's interrupted, kind of like a dead man switch and like you know, someone has a bomb thing wired up, it'll cause horrible things. Uh, No questions asked, just total nuclear obliteration on both sides. Mm. And they, um, the article said, this may not be as wacky as it sounds. The system was originally pioneered in the Soviet era where it took the form of a computer system, which scanned the airwaves for signs of life or nuclear fallout. Hmm. Alarmingly, many experts believe it may still be in use. As Russian President Vladimir Putin pointed out himself earlier in 2020, quote, nobody would survive, end quote, a nuclear war between Russia and the United States. (laughs) He was just talking about, like, playing Smash Bros. against himself or something? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Could the buzzer be warning, uh, warding one off? Wow. Believable. Seems like a very dangerous program to have in place. Yeah, it seems a little more precarious than other systems could potentially be, so that one... What if there's like a power, catastrophic power outage or something? Right. So, as it happens, there are clues in the signal itself. Like all international radio, the buzzer operates at a relatively low frequency known as shortwave. This means that compared to local radio, mobile phone, and television signals, fewer waves pass through a single point every second also means they can travel a lot further so while you'd be hard-pressed to listen to a local station example to give is such as bbc radio london in a neighboring (laughs) county shortwave stations like the bbc world service are aimed at audiences from senegal to singapore Hmm. both stations are broadcast from the same building so it's just a matter of what kind of frequency you use will determine how far it's able to travel uh, now shortwave goes further than long yes i see uh, it's all thanks to what they're calling sky waves. Higher frequency radio signals can only travel in a straight line, eventually becoming lost as they bump into obstacles or reach the horizon. Hmm. But shortwave frequencies have an extra trick. 
It can bounce off charged particles in the upper atmosphere, allowing them to zigzag between the Earth and the sky and travel thousands rather than tens of miles. Wow, cool. This brings us back to the dead hand theory. As you might expect, shortwave signals have proved extremely popular. Uh, today, they're used by ships, aircraft, and the military to send messages across continents, oceans, mm. and mountain ranges. But there's a catch. The lofty layer isn't so much a flat mirror, but a wave, which undulates like the surface of the ocean. Hmm. During the day, it moves steadily higher, while at night, it creeps down towards the Earth. Hmm. If you want to absolutely guarantee that your station can be heard on the other side of the planet, if you're using it, say, as a cue for nuclear war, you probably would want that, yeah, that ability, uh, it's important to change the frequency depending on the time of day to catch up with that changing layer of kind of charged particles. particles. So uh, yeah, the BBC World Service, for example, already does this. The buzzer does not. Hmm. Another idea is that the radio station exists to sound out how far away the layer of charged particles is. Quote, to get good results from the radar systems the Russians use to spot missiles, you need to know this, says Stupples. The longer the signal takes to get up into the sky and down again, the higher it must be. Hmm. So that was another possible ex- explanation for what the buzzer is meant to do. But that hmm. can't be it either. The to analyze the layer's altitude, the signal would usually have a certain sound, like a car alarm going off, the results of varying the waves to get them just right. They sound nothing like the buzzer, says Stupples. Here is an example of that. Mm. So the sound is kind of similar, but the frequency changes every single buzz right, right. to try and get a sense okay where is that that layer and keep dialing it until they get there hmm. so it's not really the same as the buzzer which pretty much stays the same it just keeps repeating and it mm-hmm. also wouldn't explain the random words that pop in sometimes what what purpose <laughs> would those serve if you're talking about trying to find the layer of, uh, of ions or whatever so Intriguingly, there is a station with some striking similarities. The Lincolnshire Poacher ran from the mid-1970s to 2008. Hmm. Just like the buzzer, it could be heard on the other side of the planet. Just like the buzzer, it emanated from an undisclosed location thought to be somewhere in Cyprus in this case. And just like the buzzer, its transmissions were just plain creepy. Ooh, I want to hear. At the beginning of every hour, the station would play the first two bars of an English folk tune, the Lincolnshire Poacher. Hmm. After repeating this 12 times, it would move on to messages read by the disembodied voice of a woman reading groups of five numbers in a clipped, upper-class British accent. Oh, my God. So let's hear a little I bit of that one. To, I have to hear this. It's going to get stuck in your head forever, unfortunately. Pretty weird. Very weird. It's like the winning lotto number or something. <laughs> but you can only get it after hearing a really, really creepy radio station. Uh, now, yeah, exactly. Jingle. Did it, uh, was it kind of broken up on your end as well? It kind of oh, came yeah, and the, went. The super staticiness of it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that is, that is built into it because it is being picked up, you know, who knows how many thousands of miles away from where it was sent so weird and uh yeah that was coming from cyprus and was every hour it would play that song 
that little bit of it 12 times in a row and then that woman would come in and and say some numbers they were never the same or at least they weren't always the same anyway they were just like just five different numbers you say it twice and then that was just a thing they do every uh, every hour so what the hell's going on yes to get to grips with what was going on and what could still be going on, it helps to go back to the 1920s. Mm. The All-Russian Cooperative Society, Arcos, was an important trade body responsible for overseeing transactions between the UK and the early Soviet Union, or at least that's what they said they did. Mm. In May 1927, years after a British secret agent caught an employee sneaking into a communist news office in London, police officers stormed the Arcos building. The basement had been rigged with an intru- uh, anti with anti intruder devices, and they discovered a secret room with no door handle, in which workers were hurriedly burning documents. Oh shit! It may have been dramatic, but the British didn't discover anything that they didn't already know. Instead, the raid was a wake up call to the Soviets, who discovered that MI5 had been listening in on them for years. Hmm. Quote: This was a blunder of the first order, says Anthony Gleese, who directs the Center for Security and Intelligence Studies at the University of Buckingham. Hmm. To justify the raid, the Prime Minister had even read out some of the deciphered telegrams in the House of Commons. Any of the spying they had done, they just said, hey, we've been spying. Here's how, <laughs> here's how we've been doing it. Right. So they, kinda, they gave up the game. Yeah. <laughs> upshot was that Russians completely reinvented the way messages were encrypted. Almost overnight, they switched to quote-unquote one-time pads. Hmm. In this system, a random key is generated by the person sending the message and shared only with the person receiving it. As long as the key really is perfectly random, the code cannot be cracked. Hmm. Uh, there was no longer any need to worry about who could hear the messages because it meant only one person could understand the message, so it didn't matter who was listening. Wow. This is when number stations come into play. Radio yeah. stations that broadcast coded messages to spies all over the world. Soon even the British were doing it. If you can't beat them, join them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite difficult to generate a completely random number because a system for doing so will, by its very nature, be predictable. Actually, really interesting what it takes to create genuinely random numbers. It's fucking hard. <laughs> like you'd, wow. think, you'd think it would be a simple thing to do, but it actually does involve... Like There's just so many things that can bias it to make it not actually random. Interesting. Even it's, like the Excel rand between function? It's It's doing stuff based on certain just kind of number patterns that it's using to kind of generate that, that it so there is, is like a not, predictive yeah it's not truly random it's really hard yeah. to get true random there's a cool episode of secretly incredibly fascinating with alex schmidt about that from a few Ooh. months ago so to try and get random it's hard to it be predictable accidentally so it's what you're trying to avoid is having it be in any way predictable instead officers in london found an ingenious solution they'd hang a microphone out the window on oxford street and record the traffic there might be a bus beeping at the same time as a policeman shouting the sound is unique. It will never happen again, says Stepples. Then they'd convert this into a random code. So whatever weird huh. sounds they heard, they say, okay, well, this is, this is what we use to make a code. Of course, that didn't stop people trying to break them. During World War II, the British realized that they could, in fact, decipher the messages, but they'd have to get their hands on the one-time pad that was used to encrypt them. Hmm. So this is the British trying to dig into uh, the Russian stuff again. We discovered that the Russians had used the out-of-date sheets of one-time pads as substitute toilet paper in Russian army hospitals in East Germany, says Gleese. That's hilarious. Needless to say, British intelligence officers soon found themselves rifling through the contents of Soviet latrines. Oh, damn. So, yeah, spy work isn't as glamorous as movies make it seem like. You just dig that through actual shit. That is wild. <laughs> yeah. The new channel of communication was so useful, it didn't take long before the numbers stations had popped up all over the world. There was the colorfully named Nancy Adams Susan, 
uh, Russian Counting Man, and Cherry Ripe, the Lincolnshire Poacher's sister station, which also contained mm. bars of an English folk song. In name, at least, the buzzer fits right in. Mm-hmm. May come as a surprise that number stations are still in use today, but they hold one major advantage. Though it's possible to guess who is broadcasting, anyone can listen to the messages, so you don't know who they're being sent to. Hmm. Mobile phones and the internet may be quicker, but open a text or email from a known intelligence agency, and you could be rumbled. Uh, it's a compelling idea. The buzzer has been hiding in plain sight, instructing a network of Russian spies all over the world. Hmm. There's just one problem. The buzzer never broadcasts any numbered messages. This doesn't strictly matter since one-time pads can be used to translate anything from code words to garbled speech. Uh, says Stepples, if this phone call was encrypted, you'd hear, and he says a bunch of just kind of gibberish letters, but then it would come out the other side sounding like normal speech. Hmm. But this would leave traces in the signal. To send information over the radio, essentially all you're doing is varying the height or spacing of the waves being transmitted. For example, two low waves in a row means X, or three waves closer together means Y. When a signal is carrying information instead of a neat, evenly spaced waves like ripples on the ocean, you're left with a wave like the jagged silhouette of an e- uh, ECG. Hmm. This isn't true of the buzzer. Instead, many believe that the station is a hybrid of two things. The constant drone is just a marker saying, this frequency is mine, this frequency is mine, to stop people from using it. It only becomes a number station in moments of crisis, such as if Russia were invaded. Then it would function as a way to instruct their worldwide spy network and military forces on standby in remote areas. Interesting. So the fact that it can pass that sort of buzz signal is just like a way of saying like space occupied. Pretty much it's just constantly you know, filling up that particular airwave frequency with some continuous Something. loud sound. And then when it does have whatever message it is that could be actually being used for something else uh it seems they're already they've already been practicing in 2013 they issued a special message command 135 issued hmm. it was said to be a test message for full combat readiness uh, says maris goldmanis a radio enthusiast who listens to the station from his home in the baltic states hmm. when was this 2013 wow okay the mystery of the russian radio may have been solved but if its fans are right let's just hope that drone never stops and that's what i got wow very very cool yeah i've never heard of number stations i like the explanation for how it may be working and what it may be used for and yeah fascinating very cool it's still not really like it's say oh maybe maybe solve the mystery but we don't really know it's like well here's what it probably could be and that's the best we've gotten for any of the number stations yeah where it, it, it does make the most sense as far as something that weirdly cryptic like hey you know espionage there's probably just people around the world who are just yeah. up to something <laughs> and you know when they're not having their heads microwaved yeah exactly they're waiting for messages uh from numbers stations maybe <laughs> it's too cool yeah. um yeah fascinating very spooky and that is my russian story for this week Ooh, i like it very much I can feel the uh, NCAA device sending a certain signal into my brain right now. That sudden restart can only mean that we've reached the end of the 40 minutes and 22 seconds I was able to make the machine pause for. So, yeah, it's time for (laughs) another uh, patron to thank. This time we're focusing on... Lisa Lisa C. C of of Arlington, Arlington, Virginia. Lisa, watch out for... The Care Beast. Care Beast. It's a cryptid living in the Lake K. 
care. care. Yakutia. So, Lisa, as you'll recall, in November of 1964, G. Rakaswev said that an unusual animal with snake head lives at the <laughs> lake care. After that, he said next, or they said next, at 7 o'clock, I took buckets and went to the lake for the water. I heard about the devil living in the lake, but I didn't believe in it. Then I heard an splash of water and saw an unknown animal coming out of it. The length of creature was 4 or 4.5 meters. Height, 1.5 or 2 meters. The neck of animal was long, maybe 1.5 meters. Also, it had flat, small, snake-like head, large dorsal fin, and smooth, dark blue skin. Seemed like it was eating grass. Then the beast looked at me. I badly remember what happened next because I was very worried. I screamed and ran to our camp, but alas, no one was there. I looked back at the lake. I saw waves, but there was no wind and the weather was calm. Horrifying. <laughs> um, so, Lisa, if you ever catch yourself making such a statement, you may want to start running mid-sentence. <laughs> also, if you happen to see an Oranosaurus, which I'm pretty sure is a real dinosaur. It's a hadrosaur. A hadrosaur, I was going to say. Presumably if you hear a trumpeting noise as well, because I believe they had highly resonant nasal chambers. Yes. Uh, run. Run. Run as fast as you can. Yeah, and if you're... Where is Yakutia? I want to see what that is. It's in Russia. Holy shit. Wow. So, if you are in Russia, there are a couple of different lakes you should look out for. Yes. Avoid Brazhno and Yakutia. And... Maybe just Russia in general. Yeah, you know, just don't go to Russia or Russian lakes or lakes stick, in general. Stick to the Virginia area codes you are familiar with. Yes. Um, and and of thank, course, you thank you so much for your support. We yep. really appreciate it. As Jake mentioned before, any level of uh, commitment on our Patreon will get your name entered into the pander function to be read in segments just like this one as well as all these other cool perks. If you are not yet a patron, um, as we have mentioned before, August is a very special month. If we can band together to grab 100 patrons, all of us are getting ourselves some cool-ass glassware. It's going to be these special. If you know what a Belgian beer glass is, it's the cool tulip-shaped beer glass, the fanciest of kinds. It'll have... The full color Super Duper Stitches logo on the side of it, and it'll be all yours if you are one of the first 100 patrons on our Patreon, and only if you're one of those first 100 patrons. So coerce your friends, coerce your family. Use a separate credit card and, and set up a second account for yourself. <laughs> yeah, get a yourself a bunch of these glasses. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's uh, it's make it's it's make it or bust. So, I mean, I need more glasses. So basically, just do it for me. <laughs> Uh, but no, please please do consider it, and uh, thank you all for listening. Another way to support us is just to leave a, a kind rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we appreciate that a whole hell of a lot. If you have been keeping up with stuff in the last couple of days, uh, climate report, pretty, uh, pretty depressing. Some of the headlines have made it sound like there is no hope at all, like a code red for humanity, like, oh, it's too late. It is too late to not have climate change happen. It's been happening. But it's not too late for to, like twenty years, right? And uh, for like a hundred years, I, yes, I think since you know the industrial revolution, we've been constantly just doing it. It's just picked up like crazy in the last couple of decades. 
don't despair and don't worry about it being, you know, something it's all your fault. There are different things we can each individually do to help curb our own emissions. Know that I think 29 corporations are responsible for one third of all emissions on the planet. So harass your local politicians. Do whatever you can to just, we got to make actual changes. If you live anywhere near where I do, there's a lot of ways we can try and stop line three. You know, just we need to be a lot more annoying to the people who have power over what stuff happens in our lives because uh, there are more of us and there are of them and it's our planet too. It would be nice if we could live on it for a while. Cheers to that. I will I'll pile on, figure out other ways as well as the politically demonstrative. You can also just act locally, plant more native plants in your yard if you are a homeowner or a property owner. Do whatever you can to establish means of carbon sequestration in your local environment and support that. And uh, look to different ways, you know, as ever, where you are not combusting as much carbon. Because <laughs> even if it's, you know, yeah, yeah, car emissions are pretty bad, but your individual emissions aren't necessarily the biggest problem. All of us together, that no. makes a bigger difference. But even more importantly, if you're not buying gas, you're not giving money to the motherfuckers who are responsible for all these problems in the first place indeed fossil fuels so yes and also maybe unscrew some bolts on jeff bezos's rocket for the next time yeah um what was i gonna say Man. next time we're in ecuador <laughs> yes next time so we've got our tickets i found this russian capsule that we can climb aboard <laughs> we'll use this to go to Ecuador, I think. <laughs> yep. Um, and I suspect it will sound very weird. Yeah, so and we'll let's see. see. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, look at this. <laughs> we have to close the hatch. Oh, yep. Forgot about that. To be safe. There we go. There we go. The hatch is closed. All right. Now we're taking and off now in whatever we are taking way. Off. All right. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. To Ecuador we go. <laughs> the end. The end. Okay. <laughs>